0: For me, it's really rare to find a black person, even here in America, who does not have some type of religious background. And as a gay person or queer person, I've oftentimes heard a lot of black queer people who walked away from church because of the homophobia, the hypocrisy. We all know some of the things that go down in the churches, you know, from the pastors and the choir people, the dickens who are on the down low. And so it's it's a hypocrisy and also lack of acceptance that turn a lot of people off. And speaking of uh, online dating and real black man how do you feel about the fetishization of the black man it's always like a dark skin masculine top black man you know it's always like on top of the food chain and you're just cornered into a box and you're not allowed to be anything but that box itself one Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk About Us with Uche. I am your host, Uche. Thank you so much for joining today. If you're returning, thank you, thank you. If this is your first time listening on podcast, please make sure to download Share With Your Friends and Family. If this is your first time on YouTube, also please share with your friends and family. And please do not forget to hit that bell notification so anytime I upload a video, you would be the very first to be notified. Thank you and welcome. Today, I have the honor to host someone very inspirational to me. I got the opportunity to not formal meet but um we met virtually a few months ago i also had the privilege of being invited to his platform and he interviewed me one of the most profound people i've met in 2022 mr eric Woodby. thank you so much for joining today could you please uh, introduce yourself well
1: thank you so much for having me and for that great introduction <laughs> no pressure
0: <laughs> you want to tell um the audience a little bit about you or you want me to yeah. spill the tea
1: um the platform that you were talking about is our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, which is for LGBTQ plus, Black LGBTQ plus professionals across the globe sharing about their lives and their professions in their respective countries. And yes, I was also very honored to speak with Uche a couple of months ago. And uh, I've interviewed people from different places of the U.S. and the United Kingdom and Sweden. Recently in Italy, didn't know there were Black gay people in Italy. So it's been a really exciting journey coming up on almost two years in April.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for joining today. And uh, yes, there are Black gay people in Italy and all around the world. So I really do appreciate the work that you do. As we've talked about in the past, my Platform is centered around spirituality And you know preaching the oneness of all And uh, homosexuality Or LGBTQ advocacy Specifically to black and African people Is just like a subset of what I do Not the entirety of what I do But seeing someone like you Who is focused on that Our black gay diaspora Just bringing awareness to black people In a diaspora who are queer I think that's quite admirable This is one of the things that I loved about Meeting you last year And also feeling so honored to be on your show, to, you know, share my story and connect with someone like you. Uh, definitely as an, as an incentive, a uh, reinforcement for not just me, but for more people like us to live our truest selves.
1: I agree. And it's very much for me about community. Of course. And for me, it started with, you know, I spent most of the last three years in Sweden, between Sweden and the UK, actually. And this just came out of a desire just to find out, first of all, those of us who are in Europe. And then it just kind of fanned out from there. And then it just brought up other questions, which I love your platform is that you really challenge us to, you know, look at ourselves, but also look in the ways that we can positively influence the world everywhere.
0: Of course. Now you're from the US, right? Yeah. (laughs) Los Angeles, California.
1: Uh, I'm I'm actually from Phoenix, Arizona, but I lived in LA for a long time. And so, uh, yeah, Phoenix is my hometown, but LA is where actually I spent most of my life because I moved there as a young adult. And I've been here, like I said, mostly in Europe for three years and currently in Brighton in the UK for since late September of last year.
0: Okay, and you're you're I know you're currently in the UK right now, but you did live in Sweden. That's where you're based right now, right?
1: This is where I would like to be based. I'm a digital nomad at the moment, you know, doing freelance work. But the ultimate goal is to settle as a resident in Stockholm, although I've been here in Brighton and I came here through Pierre Monterville, who was my episode five guest. He always said, you know, you should come visit Brighton, which is considered like the San Francisco of the UK. And I have to be honest, I do really like it here. I like the vibe here. It's very chill. It's a seaside beach town, so it's very walkable. I love the fact that I don't need a car. I can just walk just about anywhere if it's not raining.
0: (laughs) And do you have any plans to move back to Sweden?
1: Because I'm a nomadic person at the moment, I have to leave after a certain time. So I plan to return to Sweden in the early spring.
0: Okay, Do you have any plans to come back to America anytime
1: soon? Not to live. I was back last year for seven months, the first part of the year. And it was good because I got to see family and friends and actually got to travel a bit more across the country just through not seeing people for a couple of years. When I came back and people knew I was back in the U.S., they're like, you have to come see me. So I was briefly in Texas and San Antonio and then a friend of mine, originally from Atlanta, he moved back there years ago, and I got to see him. We hadn't seen each other in a long time. And then, of course, um, L.A. and Phoenix, and then seeing some family on the East Coast in Maryland and New York.
0: Okay, that's good. And whenever you're back in the U.S., it would be nice to see you in person. Or if I'm in Europe or w- whatever country you're going to be in, you know, it would be nice to put an actual physical face to the name. It seemed like a pretty... Cool person.
1: Same here. (laughs) So
0: anyway, Eric, welcome to my show. And thank you for having me on your show when you did. I listened to that episode so many times because it's by far one of my my favorite guest interviews that I've done. You know, like where I went to somebody else's show. I feel like I poured out my heart, my body and my spirit. I'm going to try to attach a link down below for anyone who is interested in listening to that episode. Like I said, it's one of the most profound episodes that I've done where someone invited me to their show. I remember something that you mentioned on that show is when you came out of the closet, it felt right to come out, but then it didn't really feel so right. It's like, now what? I feel like this is something that a lot of us struggle with. Me personally, I've definitely made peace with my sexuality. A whole lot of things about me, I've definitely made peace with that for a long time. But then there's always that, now what? feeling that comes out and I feel like a lot of that comes from the fact that a lot of us don't even know what being queer is being gay, lesbian, bisexual because there's not a whole lot of positive image on queerness out there and the education that is out there is so entertainment driven and also so white centered so a lot of people like us black people and black people in diaspora or Africans or Africans in diaspora we don't fit in there now we're dealing with racism, we're dealing with homophobia, we're dealing with other struggles of being black and queer, especially here in the West where we are not the majority, we're not the preferred. Do you want to touch up on that as to how that that felt when you first came
1: out? Yeah, actually, I just had a similar conversation this past week, but I think it was just a community. I was hoping to instantly find a community based on media, based on what I had been seeing on television and a few films at the time when I came out in the late 90s. But um, to your point, yeah, I was kind of caught up in it for the first couple of years, like just the whole thing of I was admitting to myself that I'm gay and I was really riding on that high. But once that started to die down and I started to really focus on the world around me at the time, because I didn't plan to move to West Hollywood. I just so happened I was Uh, you know, I had to move. I was in a living situation that I wanted to get out of. And so I found a place in West Hollywood and, you know, there's some great, in some ways, community there. But yeah, like I said, after a couple of years, once the dust started to settle and I started to really focus, I was like, well, where are the other black gay, you know, specifically at the time men? And then thankfully I had a friend at the time who gave me a proper tour of LA gay life and took me to, uh, there was a club for years that was I think one of the oldest clubs in the U.S. for a long time. There's a documentary or there was for a time on Netflix, there's called The Catch and he took me there and that was the first time I like saw a sea of, you know, beautiful, gorgeous black men and, and women, LGBT black community and, you know, just other parts of and other parts of LA, but yeah, that was fine. And that was cute for a while. But and, and not to say I don't I didn't at the time like to go out and have a good time, but I wanted something more meaty, more solid, not as superficial as it can be in club culture, regardless of where we come from. And so, yeah, I was just kind of hungry for that. And you know, I love reading those types of things. I'm a writer, but I just wasn't really finding it or it took me a while to really find my people.
0: Mm. And how old were you when you came out and started this journey? I was 28. 28. So would you say that's a bit later or early? Uh,
1: Oh, good question. Um, I thought it was late. Some people I know come out a lot later. I mean, you're younger than I am. I know, depend, you know, as the generations move forward, we tend to come out a lot younger. I. It was more personal for me, not so much that I couldn't have come out earlier because actually a friend from high school came out right after, or I knew he was gay right <clears> after high school. So there were definitely people in my life who were coming out. And I had a friend in college who was out as a gay man. But at the time, I just wasn't ready for that. I I wasn't ready to sit still long enough to accept that part of myself and, you know, and unpacking things over the years. Some of it was I I didn't really grow up in a consistent, really religious background, but definitely um, not being told that gay is wrong, but that it wasn't the ideal and uh, those types of things and more of the pressure on myself because I was this kid who was really determined to be the best of a boy in Arizona. And I was good in school and I was very book smart, but um, being gay didn't really fit into who I thought I should be.
0: I I definitely resonate with a whole lot of those. And I'm sure a lot of people listening and watching right now definitely can relate. Um, Yes, community building is something that is very important, not just for queer people or black people, just for humans in general. I'm sure you've heard this phrase, no man is an island. You know because we're all joined we're all connected one way or the other and of course when you're a minority especially in this part of the world especially a double triple minority you know in the sense of being a woman being black being queer being immigrant and things like that it gets a bit tricky trickier building community and i remember one of the episodes that you did in your own podcast i believe finding my voice
1: finding my voice as a gay, as a black gay man
0: yes finding my voice as a black gay man a couple of things that you mentioned there is how it wasn't until recently that you started being proactive and being not assertive, but speaking up for yourself and taking charge of your life and doing your thing. And then you share some of the things, you know, in your childhood and also the corporate job that you worked, um, how people overlooked you. Obviously, I, I would I would guess that some of that is possibly who you are to a certain extent, like some people are. Um, more naturally, more, I don't want to say passive, but more mellow. A lot of things don't bother them, per se. But would you also say a lot of that, what influenced that mentality is also how you were raised?
1: Yeah, that's another good question. It was a combination of the two. I, I grew up in a family where, you know, my immediate family, we're all pretty, never thought of us as mellow, how we thought of us just as quiet. But yeah, I guess kind of a mellow set, uh, people that were most comfortable, or I should say i most comfortable in smaller group settings. I do love to talk, and that's been one of the gifts of this platform, is that I love to discuss, but I, I never considered myself and a super gregarious person. But yeah, my family life, we were pretty insular. We pretty much kept to ourselves. We also moved around a lot, which I think added to it because I never really felt uh, I was in a community long enough to kind of get to know myself in some ways.
0: Okay. How, how would you say your mental health or at least your state of mental health was growing up? And the reason why I ask this is because obviously mental health is a very important part of our own being. And I've seen in all of my travels talking to a lot of Queer people in general, not just Black and African queer people, a lot of their mentality as to how they view queerness or view themselves in the space of queerness is a reflection of how they were raised growing up. You know, um, where uh, there is always this big push on patriarchy and heteronormativity and heavy religiosity that perpetuates their own mental health demise, if that makes sense. Would you say that was that's definitely something that's applicable in your situation growing up where some of the norms in your household caused a rift in the way you perceived yourself uh, not just as Eric but also as a Black queer man and also how you've grown to see yourself and see the world today.
1: I mean, within the home you know, I was, for the most part, you know, I had to get good grades. I had to present in a certain way you know and I'm not regretful of that at all I'm really grateful for for being encouraged to to focus on that as far as being a boy or become, you know being a boy becoming a man I don't remember being told that I had to be like hyper masculine but you know it's definitely was some of that there I was very bookish and I think that in some ways protected me because I was always considered a smart one or You know, like when I look back on some of the people that weren't necessarily friends, but I I think they were kind of protectors, these boys who were usually my age or a little bit older, who were more assertive, they would kind of say, oh, he's cool, Eric's all right. Because I was always very quiet and I was very shy. But yeah, within the home, as far as masculinity or going to school and and getting to become more aware of what's expected of a boy, yeah, I I think that played a part in it. I, I didn't think of myself as gay as a child. I was aware every now and again of things that I shouldn't say. Like uh, I remember at seven years old being near these girls in second grade who were kind of considered the pretty popular girls and overhearing them talk about this new boy in class, Byron. And they were like, Oh God, he's really cute. And in my mind I said, Oh, I think he's cute too. And then I panicked because I was like, Oh, did I say that out loud? So for the fact that, even though I didn't think of myself uh, being gay, or I didn't even know what that was at that age. The fact that I was afraid that I had said that out loud says something. So I was definitely getting fed something.
0: Hmm. Would you say you grew up in a in a stereotypically religious household where going to church every Sunday or Saturday for some people who go to church on Saturdays was a norm?
1: No, I, I come from that as <clears throat> far as extended family. My mother came from that uh, her father died when she was, she was a kid, and uh, I think their mother kind of used the church to help raise them, which in some ways is good because that's community. I grew up with my stepdad, and so he came from that background too. But as far as our religious upbringing, or at least mine when we were coming up or when I was coming up, we went to church once in a blue moon. It it would be like maybe once every two or three years. And I never understood it until I got old. I never asked because, you know, they're both gone. But I think when we did go to church, I think it might've been guilt or maybe, you know, family members were saying you should be taking these kids to church. But yeah, I didn't really grow up with that. And as far as that expectation or going to church or never having a, a church home, I didn't have that, no.
0: Okay, So would you say your family was uh, considerably uh, progressive?
1: I hadn't thought of them that way.
0: <laughs> well, especially in terms of religion and, you know, social norms and traditions.
1: I, I guess so around religion. I remember yeah. being around the age of 12, 13 and realizing that I had not been baptized. And I did ask my mother why I wasn't baptized. And she said, because I don't want I want you to have that choice. I don't want to put mm-hmm. that on you. And I do appreciate that from her. And. When I did get baptized when I was 17, I didn't do it for the right reasons. I did it out of spite because, you know, part of my home life, my stepdad was uh, we were we were not close. And um, it was my way of proving to him that I was a good person, I guess.
0: Mm, I see the reason why I brought that up is because obviously religion in today's day and age is a big part of who we are as a people especially black people I'd actually argue that it's worse than Africa Chaz that's a whole nother conversation and for me it's really rare to find a black person even here in America who does not have some type of religious background and as a gay person or a queer person I've often oftentimes heard a lot of Black queer people who walked away from church because of the homophobia, you know, the hypocrisy. For any Christians or religious person who's watching, I'm sure when you were in church or if you're still in church, we all know some of the things that go down in the churches, you know, from the pastors and the choir people, the dickens who are on the down low and things like that. So it's, it's a hypocrisy and also lack of acceptance that turn a lot of people off. And I'd actually argue that part of that is in lack of understanding of what spirituality, at least a spiritual essence of what church or religion is supposed to bring out in people, hence why people um, seem so close-minded and homophobic. What do you think about that?
1: I mean, I think I was somewhat aware of that, not hearing that because, again, we didn't go to church that much. I had an aunt, my mother's sister. She didn't really go to church, but as far as my upbringing, she was the closest to me of hearing that because she was very much into the the bible you know christianity and those types of things um i think i learned more about it as i got older uh definitely i had strong opinions not positive opinions about people who were religious i whenever i would visit my aunt she always had christian television on and that was um, a challenge for me because i sometimes saw things or per- perceived things that were contradictory to what these people, how they were actually living their lives. I didn't come a, become aware of, you know, the contradictions or the conflicts about being gay in the church until after I came out and I started to meet, especially Black gay men who were conflicted because of growing up in religious homes and, and very much being Christians and, and being spiritual people, but being conflicted because of the rhetoric that they had grown up with.
0: I'd say that a lot of that confliction is because, again, once again, I feel like people don't understand what religion is supposed to do. Religion is supposed to take you to spirituality, which is the oneness of all, which is also why I focus on what I focus on in terms of spirituality. And it's also why I like the episode that you did with the guy from the Pride Uh in the Pew. I I don't remember what episode that was, but I felt his energy. Of course, he's more uh, religious with it, he's more church with it. You know, but it's essentially the exact same thing. You can be a queer person and serve God. You know, we are all God's children. God manifested every single one of us perfectly in God's own way. So for us to now turn our backs from that and create God in, in man's image, I feel like we, a lot of people worship man-made image of God you know, reprimanding people because of their sexuality or whatever it is, you know, without realizing that we're all fallible creatures who have been brought into this world perfectly and necessarily to serve God in different ways. So I feel like that disconnection has turned off a lot of queer people to walk away from church without realizing that you can still be a part of the church or not even necessarily go to church, but serve God in your own way that doesn't necessarily conform to the religious norms, if that makes sense.
1: No, it does. And I'm not a religious person. I've tried church or, you know, religion in my adulthood. I am definitely, I believe, a spiritual person. To your point, I think it's about positive energy transference, you know, in whatever way that that can be manifested. I'm definitely a proponent of that. And that could be through Christianity and through the other religions. But yeah, I like how you put that. It's definitely, I think, spirituality. It's connecting to energies that are feeding oneself in a positive way and also affecting other people in a positive way. And I've definitely been in churches where I sense because people think I'm a Christian, I'm just focused on that because that's the only one I really know somewhat about. I just feel like it's people being in, in elite country So That's how they treat religion is I'm, I'm part of this country club. You're not a member, therefore you don't belong or you don't follow the rules that I think you should follow then you're going to hell and you know a lot of that stuff that they talk about I don't think and that's something I I like that you quote actually from the bible because especially around the policing of women's bodies you know they talk about a woman should wear a skirt this length or whatever and I'm like well that's generational I mean there was a time where if a woman showed her knee or her ankles she was going to hell so Really do your research. That's what I would say.
0: One of the things that we struggle with, like I mentioned earlier, we both mentioned earlier, is finding who we are, making peace with who we are and community building in terms of chosen family. And uh, for anyone who's been watching me for a while, chosen family is something that I've talked about a lot that is very important. Like I said earlier, no man is an island. How would you and and this is this is a problem. This is a big problem on its own. I've, I've mentioned this in previous episodes how a lot of gay people or queer people get together there's not a whole lot of substantial there's not a whole lot of substance joining them together a lot of young especially young people maybe even older people but i I see this a lot in young people when they get together i feel like the only thing that they have in common is just that they're queer or maybe they because they're black and queer or african and queer but there's not a whole lot of deep connection between them where beyond that stereotypical superficial Um, look at me, look at, you know, talking about boys and things like that, right? How would you, what advice would you give that you've possibly implemented in your own life and finding yourself and building that community of chosen family, especially for younger people who are coming out of a closet
1: or at least considering taking that leap of faith and walking into their own light? I think it's about peer pressure a lot of the times. You know, I could say in my own past why I, tried to do certain things because it was expected because I was gay and then later because I was Black and gay. I, yeah, it's, it's that. I think part of it too is as far as our community, you know, generally speaking, and then specifically as Black LGBTQ plus people is that this is still relatively new, us openly building community, So we're still trying to find out what this is. And, you know there's still the reality that although yeah it's a lot easier to come out today it's still i don't think uncommon that we have to wait until we're adults or young adults to do that or to do all the things that you said to acknowledge within oneself that hey i'm attracted to say, the same gender or i express my gender expression this way i i you know and that's why i think we lag behind a little bit not because we're less intelligent or less emotionally matures because we have to put that on pause. You know, most people start being able to openly do that when they hit puberty. We Most of us still can't do that. So I would say, yeah, just maybe um, give yourself permission to to stumble sometimes because that happens and that's just part of the human condition anyway. Uh, I, I think it seems to be a lot easier because of the internet, because we can look up things. And, you know, if something you have something that you like or don't like, it's okay to acknowledge those things, you know, like anything that people who try to wrangle you to do things because of peer pressure, it's okay to say, you know what, I know you like that, but that's not what I like, or this is what I like. And, you know, please respect that.
0: I definitely do agree with you on every single point. And this definitely also affects our dating life as well. You know, that lag that you mentioned, I always say that uh, a typical 25-year-old gay man is equivalent to a 15-year-old heterosexual because of all the social, mental, psychological um, learning process. We're a bit slower with it because of lack of acceptance. So I definitely do agree with that. How has that lag affected you in your own dating life and what advice would you, (laughs) here's my, and what advice would you give to a younger person um, like myself or even much younger who, once again, is on the verge of coming out of a closet and trying to navigate through finding who they are, uh, working, paying taxes, being an adult, learning about queerness, and also um, looking to share their life in an intimate way with the one or the special person.
1: Um, I'm going to turn the camera off. (laughs) (laughs) Spill the tea, Eric. (laughs) No, I think it's a process. I think it's a process. It's, um, you know, I think sexuality in general, yeah, I'm gay, but you know, sexuality in general, regardless of what my orientation is, it's a process of finding out what I like, what I need. I think that's more important a lot of times, is, is discovering what I need and being okay and admitting that to myself and admitting that to potential partners or to the potential partners that this is what I need. I know this is what you have done with other people, or this is how you've expressed your sexuality, but this is what I need. Uh, definitely communication, especially around intimacy, be it emotional or sexual, is that it's okay to talk about it. I know sometimes in the heat of the moment, we can just get caught up in things, but it is okay to pause and say, you know what, let's just let's, let's talk for a little bit, even if it's something casual, it's definitely okay to pause and say, you know, this is what i need or this is what i like or this is what i don't like or need it and to do it in a respectful way so that you're not um hurting the other person's feeling because we're both beings who have emotions and feelings okay, so i course. don't know if that answers your question no it
0: does actually it does. it answers it perfectly my next question is okay so let's say a scenario where a younger person for example or anyone actually i focus a lot on the younger people so we can start coming out a lot quicker, you know, so we can try to savor as much opportunities as possible and not do it later. But this is something that is going to be applied to anyone. Uh, Let's say, for example, someone is coming out of a closet uh, they are making peace with who they are, of course, it's a process, like you said, but they're 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 relatively comfortable with who they are, and they are in the dating scene and then they fall in love with someone who is still closeted or down low. What do you think about that dating someone who is closeted or on the down low? do you think it's advisable? How do you think that could affect both their dynamics?
1: I haven't had that first hand experience I mean before I came out, I have some history with people who um, to this day have not acknowledged certain things or certain experiences. But as far as my experiences as an out gay man, I haven't had that where I've actually dated somebody who's been closeted or or on the the down low. But I would say that just, again, go back to it's okay to respect yourself. my first thought when you say that, or as I'm processing that question, is I don't think it's any different than maybe dating somebody who is in a relationship, regardless of whether it's with a man or a woman, and you're on the side. Um, think about like how that will affect you long term. Um, you know, is it possible if this person is with you as a closeted person? Um, and if you are able to have that conversation with them, like how long is this going to last? And if they say that this is never going to change, you're always going to be in the shadows and give -hmm. yourself permission to say, you know what? I think I might want something more than this or something more open and it's okay to step away. And I know it's easier said than done because when emotions get involved, of course, it's very tricky. Of course.
0: I totally do agree with that. I personally, I don't, I don't have an issue with, Closeted or down low people. I do understand from a very logical perspective, I understand it. And I've never really liked to be the type of person to pressure people to come out of a closet. You know, a lot of people that I know are still um, in the closet and they confine in me because they know the kind of person I am, I respect it, and so on and so forth. But I also do understand the burden, you know, the suppressed burden, the suppressed internalized homophobia attached to it. And I also do understand how quite toxic it can be. And from a lot of people that I know who are out and about, who have gotten into relationships with closeted men, I would, I would confidently say about 80 to 90% don't really have a whole lot of positive things to say. And which is also understandable because community building, you know, like you want to life is stressful as as it is right now. You want to be around people who can strengthen you and you strengthen them. Um, especially as a black queer person. And if the your significant other, the your better half some people will call it, is not even comfortable with who they are, how are they going to catch them and catch me? So it's sort of like walking on one leg, if that makes sense. Um so but I do understand that, you know, a lot of that like I said is internalized uh pressure internalized homophobia mental health a lot of times is also subpar my question to you is do you think that we are doing enough within the not just the lgbtq community because when i say the lgbtq community a lot of it's white dominated but within the black lgbtq community do you think we're doing enough to push for mental health mental health awareness where people can actually feel comfortable being themselves coming out having these conversations not just within the black Context, But within the black LGBTQ, are we doing enough? Do we have enough resources, especially for, say, like an 18, 19, 20 year old kid in college who may not necessarily have the luxury of having formed those um, uh, chosen families or even have the luxury of having mom and dad to lean on? Where they can pursue their own their own path and their, and the, uh, for themselves.
1: I think we're on the road to it. I mean, okay. you're somebody who's being open about it. I interviewed another person, Sean Wallace, here in the UK in London, who's you know being more vocal about it. I think we're on the road to it. I think similar to us lagging behind in a general sense to the straight community because we usually oftentimes have to come out later. As far as specifically us as Black people within the queer community we're still a little bit behind and i've become more vocal about this is that because we don't have the support of our black communities a lot of time and then also the larger lgbt community um we're we're still getting our our um we're still finding our way in that and um it's not a blame but it definitely is a cause and effect that we're not getting that support a lot of times openly or even behind the scenes from those two communities i'll just say i think we're on the road to doing that and and i think like i said you are one of the people i'm really thankful that are leading the charge for that because mental health is important yeah coming out for me was initially about oh i'm attracted to my same gender but regard if i find the man of my dreams tomorrow if i'm not okay within it has no value amen (laughs) i definitely agree with that
0: speaking of coming out a lot of closeted or people who are on the verge of coming out men black men that i've met I, i i've noticed one of the biggest concerns for them that they have in coming out is the whole association of lgbtq or gay queerness with um, extreme femininity. Of course, this is not to disrespect or demean men who are naturally effeminate. Those do, those men do exist, irrespective of sexuality. They could even be straight or bisexual, whatever. Right. But I feel like there's this oversaturation and overrepresentation of queerness, uh, especially black queerness, with femininity. And like I've always said on my platforms, I believe that the effeminate gay men are actually minorities. Um, which is why it's easier to spot them. But the vast majority of gay and bisexual men are as masculine as you and I. What message would you give to closeted men or gay men who their issue coming out is because they don't want to be associated with an effeminate, flamboyant man and, and have people put them in that box of where it's a threat to their being and a threat to their own a threat to their own masculinity Uh,
1: starting with myself personally it's accepting the parts of myself that may not be deemed as you know traditionally masculine Uh and learning and accepting that that that's uh cultural in some ways especially being here in europe you know as you know in the states we can tend to be more hyper masculine in some ways And finding out that just because I may cross my legs a certain way or like to cook, I don't like to cook. But, (laughs) you know, that it's a process uh, or or an an education for myself personally. Um, I think accepting that that does exist. Um, And also there are some men that that's just innately who they are. And for that reason, sometimes they're on the front lines fighting for the DL men to discreetly Mm -hmm. hook up online, you know you know, that person is on the front line so that you can not show your face on a, on an app. So we can't ignore the fact that a lot of the men who are considered effeminate are the ones who are leading the charge a lot of times to fight for change because, because they can't hide. So um, I have respect to them for that. As far as the media, I am challenged that there still isn't a balance. I perceive, this is just my opinion, that Um, The powers that be in media seem to be still more comfortable or our queerness as Black men in particular is more palatable if it's encased in um, hyper femininity. Mm. And I would definitely like to see a balance in that to see to your point of seeing more of us who are like you or like me or like the whole rainbow spectrum of, of how we can present
0: hmm yeah, Hyper femininity with queer spaces and hyper masculinity with black spaces. And if you're a black man, you know that disparity definitely messes with your head. Yeah, and especially considering how uh, black queer or queerness in general, but especially black queerness, has been so stereotyped and demeaned for for a long time. Nobody wants to be associated with that. You know, hence why I do what I do to try to revamp people's minds. Like, no. We got it messed up. You know, that's not what queerness is. That's not what blackness is. Just be as natural as you can be. Because if you are anything less than your natural self, you automatically fail.
1: I agree. And then there's, I think, the flip side of that, especially these days with online dating. And that's the norm, it seems, these days to to initially meet somebody for romantic interludes or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there's the flip side of, you know, having to, I think, battle the perception that we are all at least maybe if we don't present that way publicly that we're expected to be that way in the bedroom is if you're not hyper masculine then you're not a real black man
0: Mm. and speaking of uh, online dating and real black men, how do you feel about the fetishization of the black man especially and i think that there's there's levels to this fetishization by the way you know it's always like a dark skin masculine top black men, you know, it's always like on top of the food chain and you're just cornered into a box and you're not allowed to be anything but that box itself. And I'm not saying that, you know, other races are not fetishized as well. You know, I'm sure Asian men are fetishized in their own way. White men are also heavily fetishized and so on and so forth. But um, how do you feel about that fetishization? Since we're on the topic of black queerness, how do you feel about that um of the black man within the uh, queer space
1: i mean i think it's connected to society at large it's connected to racism it's connected to slavery it's connected to colonialism it's that thing of you know the thing they they despise the most they they want the most secretly in some ways um i of course i don't like it it's you know i think it's damaging to us overall to our psyche not just us as queer men but black men in general this this um insistence upon performing a certain way and if you don't then you're not really a black man mm-hmm. so in general uh, yeah it's it's a problem and um i'm not opposed to interracial da- dating i'm cautious of it because of that history because you know oftentimes it seems that when a non black person expresses interest it's because they want uh, a product and not who may be in front of them
0: And this is not just a gay thing either. I feel like even in the heteronormative space, there's a lot of um, fetishization of even the white woman and so on and so forth. And, you know, so sad now to the point that a lot of times when I see interracial relationships, and I've been in an interracial relationship myself, but I I remember a lot of times, even prior to my relationship, um, a lot of times when I see interracial couples, I always automatically... Go back to is this even real love or anything like that, and even when I eventually got into an interracial relationship, it messed with my head, like, is this real love or am I conforming to that that I demean for such a long time? But yeah, I feel like part of what I walked away from that relationship with is love the person, love the person for who they are, not their skin, not their not what they represent, you know, whatever you've been indoctrinated to believe that they represent, but love the person, take your time to connect with them, mind, body, and spirit. As opposed to just settling. I
1: agree. And I think, you know, just in recently, very recently, you know, meeting somebody here, a Black gay man who's in a relationship, an interracial relationship. And the thing that I like that he said is it's very much about communication, which is in any relationship. But definitely if one is in that space, and I've dated interracially, but um, I like how he said, if you find somebody and it feels organic and it feels healthy. Because, you know, regardless of any relationship or regardless of race, I think health is the most important thing or all of the stuff you talked about, mental health and all that stuff. But definitely communication, you know, you have to have that talk. You have to have that talk like, yeah, you love me. I love you. But the reality is, is we exist in this world and that can influence how we um, negatively navigate this thing if we don't talk about it.
0: Of course. Oh, Eric, I would love to continue talking with you. You seem so knowledgeable and you are definitely a perfect person to talk about these kind of things with because you have to understand this is not unfortunately not as common, you know, like. It's easy to get together with people and discuss literally anything, politics, sports, and, you know, the Amy's or I'm a- AVMA's, whatever it's called, right? But when it comes to things that affect real life people like you and I, black, queer, African, immigrant, you know, that topic that literally people every day suffer as a result of is crickets. So whenever I find people like you to discuss these things, it definitely is not only just uh, reinforcement that we are definitely in the right path. To be in the catalyst for more, but you know, like it gives me hope, and I wish I can talk even much longer because it's it's, this is a topic that is so broad and deep, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But for the sake of not making this podcast too long, we'll definitely pick up another time. Before we leave today, um, do you have any message for two groups of people um, that are considering coming out of a closet? A young person who is considering coming out of a closet, but they don't have the drive to come out of a closet, or an older person, a much older person, it could be someone in their 60s, 70s, 80s, who think it's a bit too late for them to come out of a closet, and um, but they're still dealing with that internalized lack of self-acceptance, internalized homophobia, or even internalized racism. What message would you give to them before we leave?
1: I would say that we're all on a journey, regardless of age, and that what influences our journeys, you know, our families, our socialization, you know the era that we grew up in accept the journey that's what i'm still doing is accept the particular journey i'm on which means that i judge it less which the less i judge it then the means the more i'm willing to reach out and ask for help and that it is okay to ask for help yeah. it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help it's not a sign of weakness to listen to people like you who who share your own experience strength and hope so yeah
0: Exactly. And that's exactly why we do what we do. You know, like I mentioned before, a lot of my topics on my platform is not just LGBTQ stuff, but I've put this on top of my table because I know that there's not a whole lot of resources out there. So I'm definitely an advocate. If you are someone who's struggling with coming out, struggling with their sexuality, struggling with uh, social conformity, struggling with religiosity and so on and so forth, please feel free to reach out to any one of us, myself or Eric. And I'm going to drop Eric's information down in the description description box so you can reach out to him. And there's so many other people out there who are advocates and speaking up on behalf of the community. So please know that you're not alone. I know that this is heavy, and I feel it too, and I'm sure, Eric, you feel it as well, that it's, it's a very heavy cross to carry, but it's one that is necessary and feels right for us to do it so that younger versions of myself, younger future generations don't have to go through the things that we've had to go through so that in the future, this won't even be a discussion. It will be too trivial to have to come at us get. That's the point that we're trying to drive home. You are necessary, irrespective of your race, gender, ethnicity, and sexual orientation. Thank you so much, Eric, for uh, joining today. Of course, I'm gonna put links to your platforms down below, But for verbal sake, do you want to verbally um, share some of your platforms where we can find you?
1: I think you have probably my links with Instagram for the podcast. It's Instagram is our black gay diaspor. Twitter is, BLK okay, gay diaspora, and then you can also email at our black gay diaspora at gmail.com. So, yeah, thank you so and much. I accept all questions and suggestions. Yeah, because it's cool. all about dialogue and communication. Of course.
0: And you guys feel free to reach out to me at letstalkwithuche at gmail.com. My LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok are LTAU with Uche. Instagram is UC underscore images. So you can reach out to me anytime if you have any questions or concerns. Thank you so much. And thank you so much, Eric, for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Have a good rest of your day. And uh, until next episode, peace out. (laughs)